Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. All right, folks, this is a milestone episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being listeners. We are at episode 600. I can't freaking believe it. Well, I can because I've recorded every last one of them, but um, I'm really excited about this, and I felt like this was a time to not only have a milestone, but I have a great guest on that talks about what's really going on in our world with so many things LGBTQ+. And it's also a really great time to let all my listeners know that for the past couple of years, we've been doing lots of different coming out stories, but I feel really, truly compelled to bring it all back home, to come back to our roots. We're going to keep moving forward. I'm determined at some point I'm going to hit a thousand episodes with this one. But as we move forward, we're going to bring it back into our family, back into our community. And I'm going to do my best to really have just stories about the planet of our LGBTQ community, because right now things are kind of crazy. And that is why I wanted to interview this guest who has a brand new book out, which we're going to be talking about. Guest name is Skylar Bilar. He is an educator, an author, brand new book that came out in October. He's an advocate. He is the first transgender athlete to compete in any sport in an NCAA Division I men's team. And more than anything, he's just an upstanding guy who's really helping get the word out and be true to our communities. And I love that he's here to share his story, his book, and to talk about what's going on from his perspective in the world of everything LGBTQ, but specifically in the world of the pronouns he, she, they, and transgender individuals. Welcome to the podcast, Skylar Bilar. Thanks for being here, buddy. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Rick. I'm excited to be here. Oh, cool. So brand new book. That's got to be fun, right? Getting a book out, (laughs) doing all that good stuff. So um, the book is he, she, they, how we talk about gender and why it matters. So Skylar, why does it matter? Let's just go right, dive right in, man. Yeah, let's, let's. Um, Well, you know, one of the things I think about when I start talking about gender with folks um, is actually reminding them that they too have a gender. A lot of times when we Mm -hmm. talk about trans people, we put them in a box over there and we say, oh, you know, well, maybe I want to learn about those people over there, or maybe I want to be an ally to those people over there. And we often forget that those people over there have experiences that we also have. So when we think about gender, everybody who is not transgender also has a gender. And therefore, they've also all been limited by gender as well and by this strict, rigid gender binary that forces us to be a man this way or a woman that way and nothing in between or no combination or no sort of freedom of expression. So when I think about talking about gender, the first thing I want to remind us all of So we all have a stake in this conversation. We have all been limited by gender and therefore we can all be liberated by trans liberation. And I think this is an important point because we may not think about it, especially hetero quote normative ways. And I was a guy that was married to a woman for many years and then finally said, you know, this is who I am. Right. Mm -hmm. I still have a gender throughout all of that. I had a gender no matter what. And because of that gender, there were normatives that were thrust upon me. Like you can't be gay. You know, that's, that's an orientation, but there's all these things that then get tied to 
you can't be gay because this is what men should be. And I'm like, oh, well, guess what? We just stepped into the whole gender thing. This is what masculine should be. This is what feminine should be. And I enjoy these conversations because I feel like this is where we start to educate. Even if the ears don't want to hear it, this is where the education starts to happen. So I love the second chapter. I think it's the second chapter in your book where you say it's more complicated than grade school science. Everybody's like, it's either this or this. It's not black and white, right? It's really super complicated. Yeah. You know, a lot of people will fall back on what they learned in middle school or even before middle school, honestly, um, in order to try to uh, argue against the existence of trans people or the validity of certain, uh, you know, truths that, you know, undergird trans validity, if you will. Um, And they'll say, yeah, well, you know, biological sex is binary. This is what I learned in basic biology back in fourth grade, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and I always have to have to sort of chuckle to myself and then take a moment to remind people that, that basic biology that you learned in grade school isn't enough. It's just not mm. complicated enough. And that's fine. It's not that there's anything inherently wrong necessarily, although I I do wish we would update our education systems. But, but it's more that like, yes, you can learn one thing at one point in your life and then learn something new that helps complicate that other thing. And let's accept new facts when we are presented to them, right? People mm-hmm. are so married to their the first fact that they learned because it, it confirms the bias we've all been steeped in. And so a lot of people are using what they call, quote, common sense against right. trans people. But really that common sense is just a code word for bias, right? Unconscious and conscious bias. And so much of this, can you can put it in another box let's go just go to the racism conversation it's the same thing there's so much bias that comes just because somebody is asian or black or you you name it what they are and so this is what we've learned so this is what we know right so of course you know we have lovely politicians right now who want to take all that away too and like that none of that ever happened but it's such an interesting phase when you really start to step into okay what truly is gender there's so many layers to gender. I mean, I'm a guy. I'm a biological, quote, man. I haven't, nothing's changed other than I'll, you know, I've aged and lost my hair. So there we go. That's it. <laughs> but my sexuality didn't change either. It's always been a part of who I was. Mm-hmm. It was just that I gave myself permission to finally own that piece of it. But that is a big question when you start to ask the question. I know we don't have near enough time to completely unpack that today. But when you ask the question, what is gender? So I'm curious in your your perspective from the book. And, and again, I, we could talk about that for an hour, but sure. quickly just kind of say what you see as this is what I believe gender is. Well, I have to be really specific about words. So when people use the word gender, they usually mean a variety of things. They they yep. sometimes mean biological sex. They sometimes mean gender identity. They sometimes mean gender expression or some combination of all three. So I like to be specific about which term I'm talking about. Gender as as an expansive topic is 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 very broad, right? And and like like I said, there's so much room for confusion. So yep. I like to break it into the actual specific terms as as much as I, I possibly can. Gender identity is usually what I think people are referring to when they ask me this question. I think it's what you're asking me. What is gender identity, right? Separate from biological sex, separate from gender expression, right? Biological sex would be one's anatomy, physiology, um, and other biological uh, uh, sort of indicators that people call biological sex um, that are not binary. They can't be put into these neat little categories of male and female, though we try, right? That's biological sex. Gender expression, how we present ourselves, what we look like, how we talk, how we act, mannerisms we hold, colors we wear, right? All gender expression. Um, And that is 
very arbitrary, honestly. It's completely socially de determined, but it's often what people um, categorize as gender because they'll look at mm -hmm. somebody and however their gender is being expressed, that is what they then say is male or female, right? And then gender identity is an internal identity. Um, many people argue that it has biopsychosocial roots. So there is a combination of biology, psychology, and sociality that contributes into creating this identity that is gender. Um, and we don't actually know exactly what are the mechanisms that create that. We do know that gender identity solidifies around the ages of three to five years old. We also know there's a high social construction of what gender is. And when I say that, mm -hmm. a lot of people sort of like their brains go and they're like, what do you mean gender yeah. is a social construct? <laughs> they get all mad. And it's like, how can, how can gender be a social construct, but it being so important. And I like to remind us, there's a lot of social, social constructs that are massively important, but we pretty much mm -hmm. live or die by. Let's say money, for example, money is really a piece of paper that we've assigned value to socially. Absolutely. And it's a social contract that money means something. We all agree, right? That this piece of, of green paper, right? Right, with some dead white guy's face on it means something to me and means something to you, right? We've agreed on that, mm -hmm. but it's social, right? Real, real, realistically speaking, there's nothing natural about money, right. right? So when I think about gender, I'm sorry it wasn't a straight answer because there's so no, many I different pieces that come together when we think about it. I think the core of, of what I understand gender to be is actually a self-expression that we've categorized mm -hmm. into male and female, but we, that we don't need to. Yeah. I remember sitting on a PFLAG panel, one of the very first times I was on a PFLAG panel many, many years ago, and I hadn't been with this particular individual ever before on a panel, and now she's one of my friends, and Michelle had transitioned at a, at a later age. I mean, I'm talking 52, 53, somewhere along those years, mm -hmm. and we got into this conversation with the students in, in the classroom. And of course, you know, one smart ass student said, well, I know what gender is. I'm like, okay, cool. And, you know, I was kind of leading at that point. I'm like, I turned to Michelle and I said, okay, so let's see what this guy has to say without mm -hmm. making him feel like an asshole, which I really mm -hmm. wanted to, because I knew what was about to come out of his mouth. But he goes, well, gender is what's between your legs. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. that kind of is part of it. And Michelle said, yes, that's kind of part of it. But you know what? When I look in the mirror, when I used to look in the mirror, I wasn't looking at my penis. I was looking at myself and what I saw in the mirror. And the kid's like, well, didn't you just see yourself? And she goes, yes. The physical manifestation of myself as a man, but I didn't see that. Mm -hmm. I saw myself as the woman I always believed I was. Mm -hmm. And the kid shut up because it's like, okay. Do you, do, and, and she handled it really beautifully. Like that's when she said, we're going to take this away from what's between your legs to what you see in your head, how you identify internally and everything. And I think this is what so many people get wrapped up in. They think in heteronormative, this is the way it is. And they can't see the multitude of layers that affect all of us. There's times that I'm like, no, I don't see myself as a woman, but I definitely can see myself as a very effeminate guy in certain mm -hmm. situations, not often, not often, but there are times I just feel that, but that's mm -hmm. just a piece of me letting different parts of my sexuality and gender identity and who I am as a person come forth. And I think too many people get hung up on these other things. So when did you have this overwhelming, it's probably wasn't one urge reality set forth for you that this is, this is me, this is my path. 
You know, people always ask me about that moment and I don't, you know, there, there is one moment that I could recall, which is when I was 18, I was in a residential treatment center struggling with an eating disorder and my therapist had encouraged me to go to this gender workshop where I would meet other mm -hmm. trans people because gender had become such a focus of our conversation. Yep. And, you know, once I was sitting in front of all these people teaching me about trans identity, including other trans people teaching me about trans identity, I broke down because I was like, holy crap, this is like, this is me. Like, there's, there's no denying it. I'm it's, it's sitting right in front of me. This is, this is me. But the reason I, I you know, I share that because it's the answer to your question. But I, I also think um, similar to you, you know, declaring that your identity has always been part of you in terms of sexuality. There wasn't a moment where I didn't have the feelings, right? That right. I that I had in that moment. I've always felt the way that I have about my gender, and in my whole childhood, I I felt the way that I do now about my gender. I just didn't know how to explain it. And so, yep. in addition to knowing my my boyhood, I carried around so much shame because I, I I thought something was wrong with me, or I I thought that there was this 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 sort of fraudulence that I had to hold because I wasn't a girl the way other girls were, but I also wasn't a boy the way other boys were. And I just didn't know where I belong. And so I concluded that I really didn't belong. And I think that was a, a heavy burden to bear for a lot of my childhood. Um, and, and I tried really hard to just sink into that difference. I was like, well, I'm just weird, I guess. I'm just different, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I think it was a lot to hold. And I wish that I had had more contact with um, educational resources or other trans people. So I think that would have helped me you know, walk into that with less shame um, and yep. more openness, more curiosity, more space for my expression. But isn't that interesting that here we are again, the big S word, shame. Everything about gender identity, sexual orientation. I, after 600 episodes, honestly, Skylar, I cannot think of an episode where that word has not come up in some way, yeah. shape or form. And, sure. and even in the episodes where we were talking about gender identity and sexuality, I mean, I remember interviewing one of my favorite episodes. The gal was part of the Oklahoma City bombing. She was the last person that came out of that and survived. And she was ashamed because she was a big, heavy set woman. And, and that came up in that conversation. Shame is going to drive so much of this. So here's something that I've been kind of tossing around in my head over the last few months, because I've been interviewing a lot of different people in gender nonconforming trans world. And it's just because, Hey, everybody's showing up. This is a great platform to kind of get some more, you know, get some more word out there. If shame is what this is all about, then why do you think those that don't want to see us, whether you're trans, gay, whatever, why do you think there's just so after us and using shame so heavily? They always have, I'm not going to say that, but it, to me, it almost feels like there's this, this heightened level of shame about being who we are on the planet these days. Mm -hmm. What do you think is really stoking those fires other than the common fear and yeah. lack of education? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that, I think shame is a evergreen, well, horrible, but evergreen tactic to weaponize one's own fears against oneself for some sort of external gain, right? Yep. If I'm somebody in power, I know that I can manipulate somebody else's shame 
to feel badly about something that will then turn them to act in a way that I want them to act, right? Again, manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that the stoking of the fear is really a centerpiece right now. I think that a lot of people are using fear and 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 actually valid fears, right? Like one of the rallying cries of the anti-trans movement is protect children. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Let's let's protect children. We we absolutely need to protect children, right? Yep. But the problem is they're saying protect children, and then the, the next breath they're saying and trans people threaten them, right? And queer people threaten children. And so then they're able to get laws passed or other discriminatory bans put in place because they've used the fear to then um, to then bolster a lie, right? Or the lie mm-hmm. to bolster the fear back and forth yep. and back and forth. And then they get their sort of discriminatory action passed. Um, and it's based on validity, right? The validity yep. of the fear, not the validity of the lie, but the validity of the fear. Mm-hmm. And so I think shame and, and um and fear play really deeply into each other because shame is sort of like an internal fear about oneself, if, if you think about it. And I think fear drives so much. And I think also, to be quite frank with you, I think a lot of people, most people will be liberated by trans and queer liberation. And they're afraid of what that means, right? Freedom yep. is frightening to people. People love categories. That's like yep. actually a core of much developmental psychology in some ways is like, that brains are built to create categorizations and to pattern observe. And so when we can't put things into categories that we've been given or tricked into believing, indoctrinated, one might say, into believing from childhood, right, or before that, then anything that lies outside of our categories is 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 fearful. And every single person in my belief who aligns themselves with anti-trans, anti-queer rhetoric, they too have pieces of themselves they've sequestered away, right? Parts mm-hmm. of their humanity they have locked in a closet, maybe not queer or transness, but maybe something adjacent, right? Maybe yep. something that dabbles in something little bit queer, a little bit flamboyant, whatever, yep. right? They've yep. locked it in the closet because of their own shame. And then what they do is they turn that on to everybody else and they say, okay, all of you all too, I'm going to lock you all away in a closet. And I'm not arguing everybody's queer or trans. That's not it. I'm saying no. everybody has pieces of their humanity that deviates from these boxes we've all been placed in. And so they too have something to gain by opening those boxes, but they're afraid right. to because they've never right. confronted those pieces of themselves. Well, it is the deviation. I mean, it, I mean, we just recently in the news, there was, and I don't remember if it was in Alabama or Louisiana, somewhere where a pastor got found out by his church belief system that he had, quote, cross-dressed in his own home to the point that they made such a point of it that the guy committed suicide. This yeah. is a perfect example of hiding something away that really nobody else should have any Nobody else should have any insight to to begin with. What he chooses to do in the you know company of his own spouse in his own home is up to him. And I think this is why when those fears and shame show up, and I love the validity of the fear, you're validating that there's fear. Everything is about stoking fear right now. Mm-hmm. And I cannot remember the last time that I ever heard a gay or trans person or lesbian or anybody in our community, and I'm not saying I know everybody, ever say, let's go hurt the children. Let's go hurt the children. (laughs) I mean, my God, it just doesn't happen. Now, in my case, this has always been one of my arguments, and I think it feels aligned with what you're saying. If I had been allowed to be freely who I was at 19 years old, I would have never gotten married to a woman. God forbid then I wouldn't have my beautiful children that I have currently. I probably had children at some point. But I wouldn't also have put them and my wife through a huge amount of pain. So Mm -hmm. these people who want to argue about this is not right, 
you need to be doing this. But what they don't realize is what you're saying by driving all these people back into the closet is you're just perpetuating things like what happened in my world. You're just mm -hmm. perpetuating people who are eventually going to come out as gay, lesbian, trans, bi, you know, non-bi, all this stuff. You're perpetuating the inevitable that actually at times can actually hurt worse than letting the person be truly who they are. But they can't see that correlation. It's just like the whole abortion issue, which I don't even want to get into, but it's a very simple thing. You don't want to have people to have abortions, but you don't want to take care of the kids that can't really be taken care of by kids that are 10 or 12 or whatever it might be years old because they got pregnant. And I think it's a similar path, not identical, but it's this combined <laughs> fuckery is what I'm going to call it, that they operate in. That well, just doesn't they're, serve the world. They're not, they're not aligned with the goals they state, right? No. The, the general American public is afraid of of things that threaten children, and they do want to protect children, right? I, I genuinely believe that most people are good people, and most of the American public, they want to protect children. They want to protect women. They want to do good by those around them and those that they love. I believe that. And the problem is that the people in power, they're using those statements, but they don't care about the kids. They don't mm -hmm. care about the women. They don't care yeah. about women's sports. Do you think any of those people have ever watched a women's sports game before? No, they have not, right? The the things they care about are power and control. And so they're they're manipulating these fears to, to, to get really discriminatory, power-hungry legislation passed. Because if they truly cared, I mean, yes, all the things that you said are also true, but a really simple uh, um, um, example is that if they actually cared about protecting kids, they would address the number one leading cause of death for children, which is gun violence. Yep. But instead, the same people that are passing these anti-trans laws supposedly protecting children, the same people that are passing those laws are also passing release of bans, right? So stopping banning concealed carry, right? Allowing concealed carry of guns, without background checks and any training, right? Yep. So it's it's bonkers. <laughs> it is. Truly, it's so counterproductive. Yep. So hypocrisy and everything is so prevalent now. But what I love about what you're bringing forth in your book, and I, in, in the author's note, one of the first things that, that stuck out to me was the absolute coming clean that everything on this topic is moving faster and shifting faster than... By the time you finished editing the book and like off it went, things have changed already again. Sure. And I'm inviting people to think about this topic. And yes, some of you are transphobic and you don't even realize it. There's times I'm like, hey, whoa, is that who I am being right now? But because these things are moving so quickly, we don't know how to keep up. So what does that invite us all to do? To keep digging, to keep looking. I mean, as a trans man, I'm sure you're like, okay, how do I better talk about this? How do I address something with somebody? How do I say this without, well, you may be like me. I don't really care if I offend people. I don't intentionally, but I want to be who I am. But I try to find those ways to have these kind of conversations, like without saying you're screwed up, but hey, do you realize that that actually might offend somebody, what you just said? Or do you realize that you don't know that person's situation? You know, and I think these are the things that at least what I'm gathering from your book, you're trying to help people learn and continue to delve rather than, nope, this is, it's black and white. This is the way it is. What was the intention of the book for you? I mean, each of us as authors, like, okay, what would I really like? But what would you, what was it for you that you wanted to get this book out? Why, why was it important to you? 
There's so much misinformation about trans people right now. And I think, again, going back to my point earlier, that I think that most people are good people. Most people want actually somewhere to be allies. Even the people who are transphobic, I think they think that they're protecting somebody, right? And so what I wanted to do is give everybody a resource to dive into this conversation with just a little bit more context, just a little bit more research, facts, science, um, and then a whole lot more humanity. And you, you might notice that every chapter I begin with a story of some kind whether that be yep. a story of another person that I've met and, and kind of what I learned from them or my own story, a piece of my history. Um, I tried as much as possible to, to sort of encapsulate every piece of learning in some sort of story um, or grounding moment, right? Because I think that that's actually really what we're missing in the society that we have now. Yes, it's filled with propaganda and lies, but it's also devoid of human connectedness. And I think yes. that is actually the core problem is that control and power and the divisiveness of the people in control and in power is aimed at disconnecting us from ourselves and from others. And when we disconnect from others, we disconnect from ourselves. When we disconnect from ourselves, we are no longer actually carrying out the values of our morals that we say we are. We're just fighting for ourselves in a silo. Um, and I think that that actually makes us fight each, each other. And when we fight each other, we all lose. So yep. I really wanted to invite everybody into this conversation about gender because it's a centerpiece of our conversation right now, but it's not really about us. It's not about trans people. Mm. It's about everybody else. It <laughs> um, is. It's not yep. really about trans people. It's about gender as a whole. And it's not even really about gender. It's about power struggles in this country. Because if we zoom out from the you know 23 states that have banned trans athletes, we see 44 states that have introduced trans anti-trans bills altogether. But then we also see that all of these are happening in concert with bans on critical race theory, bans on Black History Month education, bans yep. on reproductive rights access, Right, specifically increasing uh, voter restrictions that attack black uh, neighborhoods and black votership. Yep. So, like, we have to see that none of this is happening alone. It's all yeah. happening in a really well orchestrated, effective um, anti rights, just overall mm -hmm. anti human rights conversation. Yep. Yeah. Anybody who says, oh, it's, it's, it, you know, abortions about this and, and anybody who's for abortion, they don't have a soul. I'm like, this isn't a, just about abortion. If they can take a woman's rights away in this way, the right for you to go worship in your church because the, you're this kind of religion versus what they think it's going to be. I mean, anytime I hear Christian nation, I want to say, screw you, because that's just another example of how these things can happen. And what I loved as I was reading through your book, and I would invite anybody to pick up a copy, but just, just the titles of the chapters to me are enough to get you thinking. How do people know if they're transgender? Pronouns, why are they so important? Coming out or inviting in? I love that one. I mean, I loved all of them, but to me, I always, it's interesting that you wrote that because a lot of times when I'm speaking on stage, I said, what if we all quit looking at coming out as a coming out thing that's this huge thing instead of invite, I didn't use inviting in, but I use inviting people to the table mm -hmm. of the true you. Mm -hmm. It's a, every time I get to invite somebody into like, Hey, I just want to, you to see the real me because mm -hmm. I can't be in the closet and be the real me. It just doesn't work. True. And it's one of the things that I've found for me in my own journey, Skylar, that the more I embrace that piece, which starts to cover everything that you and I've been talking about is all we're saying is just invite us to the table. Just invite, invite yourself to a conversation that isn't riddled in. It's either this or this, because right. anytime it's this or this, there is no gray area. It's, you can't have 
to me, you can't have constructive and productive conversations, collaboration. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. I think that people, I agree with you. And I, I think that people um, feel really comfortable when there are these, you know, discrete categories that they've mm -hmm. really been told exist for their entire lives. And I think disrupting them is disruptive. It feels disruptive. And so one of the things I also hope to invite people into is a little bit of compassion in this process of dissecting the bias that we've all been steeped in, right? When I tell somebody that I'm transgender and they act in a transphobic way to me and they're like, no, no, there's only two genders. What I see is fear. And I, I see, mm -hmm. yes, I can feel pain and, and I, I try to hold space for myself. But for a moment, like, let's put me on the side and just look at them. If they're being transphobic to me, they are, they're deep in a fear of what it means to rupture their understanding of the world. And I'm not yes. trying to condone any sort of transphobia, any type of, I'm not condoning it. I'm just, I have empathy. I understand that when I say, actually I exist outside of these boxes you've been given, that I am more than what's between my mm -hmm. legs, then that's, that is a rupturing of their understanding of what's allowed, right? And what kind of freedom they've afforded themselves and that other people are afforded. And I want them to stay in that moment for, for a second, right? I want them to open that moment. And instead of exploring it with hate or with judgment or with fear, explore it with curiosity, right? Can, can we make those moments a little bit more spacious? And that spaciousness actually includes having empathy for oneself, right? Every time I've had to open my box, I feel uncomfortable, right? When I'm like, oh, actually there's more here. It's deeply hard, right? It's mm -hmm. um, And I'm sure when you started accepting your identity and figuring out yep. there's more of you to confront that's scary so yep. i want us to have compassion for that scary for that moment of being like whoa there's more here than i thought right that doesn't mean that i make space for somebody to be transphobic towards me right i don't make the space for bigotry to be enacted upon me but i can have empathy and say okay you have some stuff to figure out you're going to figure it out over there but i get it i get why you have to figure that out mm -hmm. now go do that right um, and i wanted to create space in my book for people to do that as they read along right instead of shaming anybody who might not understand or who might not be there yet i wanted to invite them in in a way that allows them to stay at the table instead of coming and being shamed for not knowing enough Right. Well, I think that's that's where we fail if we shame people for not knowing enough. And yeah. I made my mistakes along the way doing that. Just like shaming people, like just come on, get on board with me. You have to. This is it's you're a disgrace for not da, da, da. and I, and then suddenly I realized that's not gonna win. That's not gonna win. There's no winning. It's just there's not gonna be any unity. There's not gonna be any compassion that shows up. And it was a hard lesson to you know navigate. But once I started to step into that space, I'm like, okay, well actually, if they don't get here, okay, they don't. Right. At least I gave them room to try to get there. And that's yeah. all I can do. All I can do is invite compassion and empathy. If they choose not to, then I get to choose to be in their world or not be in their world. It's yeah. pretty darn simple. So, well, I'm so just grateful for you being here to help me celebrate 600 episodes and sharing yourself and congrats on the book. And I just feel like these are the conversations we need to be having more of because I could actually take almost any title in your book and put it on to anybody else and say, what about your situation? So you think you're not racist. So you think you're not a fat shamer. So things not to say to someone who's, you know, disabled. I mean, any of these things, it's coming from your beautiful perspective of being an individual in the trans community. But all you're doing is inviting people to be, at least in my mind, human and have some human conversations. So...
Thank you I for really being appreciate here. that so much, man. Thank you so much, Rick. Yep. I, I appreciate and that. for anybody who is listening, because it is the 600 episode, usually I only give away a copy of the book, but if you want a copy of Skylar's book, I am going to give away five copies. Well, maybe I should do six. Let's do six because it's the 600 episode. So anybody <laughs> who emails me and you all know the drill, Rick at Rick Clemens, email me that you'd like a copy of Skylar's book. I will give it to you on my dime because I want to celebrate 600 episodes, number one. And number two, I want to help promote some human conversations out there in the planet. So um, anyway, that's my gift to everybody who's listeners. My gift back to you, Skylar, for being a guest who helped me celebrate this milestone. And um, I appreciate you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for helping get the word out. Congratulations on 600 episodes. That's incredible. Um, and so the world is you know, lucky to have, uh, have all these episodes to learn from. Thanks, Rick. Excellent. Thank you so much, man. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here on Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.